Amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles as we continue through the first epistle of John, the little Johns I call them, uh, we're in the second chapter and we're going to be starting about the 12th verse. And, you know, when I was growing up, I always enjoyed um, being challenged in my life. I used to like to play chess, well, I still do. Or whatever things I did, I always like to be challenged. And a lot of times that means you're playing somebody better than yourself. Or the challenges are there um, to do something maybe that you've never done or never accomplished in your life. And we live in a world today where sometimes we're just, we, we're very satisfied with mediocrity. We just are very complacent in our life. And, and John tells us in these books, I, I look at them as like this self-test or these challenges that uh, we should have in our life. And I remember when I was young being told, um, and I had just seen it again on a, on a statement somewhere, um, if somebody says you can't do something, do it twice, and the second time take a picture. You know, the challenge is there to, to be better, to grow more, to, um, and not for the sake of, of ego or pride, um, but in the Christian life, it's to draw closer to God. And so John is telling us this in these books, in these little epistles, that we can challenge ourselves to be closer to him, and he's really asking us, do we have this relationship with Christ? And we talked about love being right. Well, today I want to talk about like when love goes wrong. And, and we're not going to get through it all today. But as we go on to this, because we're talking about our spiritual state today, we're going to be talking about not loving the world or the things of the world. We're going to talk about the deceptions in the last times. And we are in the last times. And, and we see these things sort of unfolding before us. And most deception in the Bible for the Christian is a self-deception. We have deceived ourselves. We begin to uh, buy the lie, drink the Kool-Aid, whatever it is that people want to tell us about spiritual things. And we always need to come back to God's word. And, and why knowing God personally sounds wonderful, and, and it really is a wonderful thing, we need to understand that the world is constantly challenging us to uh, seduce us away from our Christian values, away from our Christian beliefs. They've made us the intolerant ones. They've made us the ones that are the bigots or the fascists. And they say that, that we are non-accepting. And yet, when we read the scriptures, we see that uh, Jesus stood there with his arms open wide and saying, you know, you know all, all who want to come. And that's how the Christians are. We hate the sin that's in the world, but we love the sinners and we reach out to these people. And so, there are various um, stages or, or um, growth in our uh, levels of Christianity, and this is what John is dealing with today. He's going to talk about children. He's going to talk about uh, fathers or mothers. What these refer to is, is basically babes, uh, the elderly, and then probably the middle age. And, you know, one of the interesting things when we, when we look at things and when we examine ourselves, sometimes spiritually we can be like those uh, teenagers, and I don't want to pick on teenagers, I love teenagers, but sometimes they don't think they need father's advice or mother's advice. They sort of figure they got it all out, and sometimes when I talk with my children yet today, they're like, oh, Dad, you know, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And so we have these different levels, and now as my children have grown and as they're having children of their own, I sort of sit back and smile as they go through some of these stages that we went through, and and I'll, I'll jostle them a little bit about that. But we continually 
should want to grow in what God would have for us. And that's what John is telling us. Because the world is an, an organized system that really leaves God out. If you look at everything in the world, really, it's just pushing God out of everything. And, you know, we used to talk about it being out of the schools and out of this, but it's, it's really getting out of families. It's getting out of communities. There's all sorts of attacks on the Christian faith today. And it's going to tell us, and I don't think we're going to get through this today, but basically that the world attacks in three ways, and it's the lust of the flesh, you know, our, our evil desires, uh, the lust of the eyes, covetousness, we, we want what everybody else has, and then the pride of life, which is really self-exaltation. And so really I believe that all sins go back to these three things. So during this next week, if you want to read through a couple of things, I would just uh, continue reading on you know, 12 through the end of the chapter, or 12 through 23, that's probably where we're going to be going next week, or in a couple weeks, I should say. Um, but really look at those things and, and, and do a self-examination. Look in the mirror, look in your spiritual mirror uh, very close. You know, it's foolish to love the world because eventually the world's going to pass away, and then we are facing all eternity. And even us who uh, have been around a long time, and some longer than others, it seems like life is a long time. I just did a funeral for one of our founding members of the Jump River Church. She was 99 and a half years old, a wonderful Christian woman. And she always would say, I've been here a long time, but I know that when I get with Jesus, I have all eternity before me. And so even that long period of time is just a vapor, the Bible would say. So John addresses these readers according to their uh, spiritual maturity. And so we're going to read... Uh, maybe 12 and through 14 years, it says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the world. It's interesting that he addresses them both two times. The children, the fathers, and the young men. And again, uh, when we really look at the meaning of this, it's the children, it's the elderly, and it's those probably in the, the prime of their life that he is talking about. And we each begin our spiritual journey as, as a babe, as a child. So it doesn't matter how old we are, when we come to Christ, we start as little children. And when we are in that state of spirituality, it's just enough to know that God has forgiven us. You know, when I became a Christian, and it was probably, I can't even remember, it was early on in our marriage, and I was just burdened by things. And I was trying to live morally, and I was trying to get things right because I had come from a sort of a messed up uh, family life and background. I had things in my life that weren't going well, and, and I just was always like carrying this burden around. And I remember when I prayed to accept Christ, and it sounds like a cliche, but I, I just remember when I, when I prayed, it was like this weight was lifted off of me. It was like I, I was just free for, for a brief moment. I was just like free, and I just remember that, that sense of relief. And that's like the spiritual babe. You know, for, for uh, most little children, and I'm not talking about the bratty ones that you see in Walmart crying for toys, but most young children, they're happy with just simple things. You give them a balloon and they got a big smile on their face. You can give them a, a lollipop and they're happy. And they find all the sufficiency in that. Whereas babes in Christ, 
He's really talking about that. He says, you little children, you're happy because your sins are forgiven you. That's all that encompasses you for that moment, that, that Jesus loved me enough to die for my sins and to take my sins away. And so it starts there. And, and we're just happy that, that we have this Savior and that I'm born again. As a matter of fact, a lot of times as young Christians, uh, we get all excited. We want to go tell all of our friends about that. Now think of little children when they see something. We had the granddaughters over this week, and one would find a frog, and oh, and they'd run, and they have to say, we found a frog. We, they get all excited about things. Well, young Christians do that too. And unfortunately, sometimes the older Christians in the church say, hey, slow down a little bit. You're going to scare people away. You know, get that stuff under control. I, I say, no, we shouldn't. We, we need to be bold in our faith. We need to be excited about the Lord. But in a childlike state, you're happy. You're happy with the smaller things. God forgiveness does not come by degrees. I am totally forgiven. Sometimes we think, well, the, the more I grow, the more forgiveness I'm going to have. It's not that way. We're never going to be more forgiven than we are than that moment that we come to Christ for the first time. His forgiveness is for all time. So forgiveness is not man's achievement. So sometimes we think, well, if I do this, God will forgive me if I do that. No, it's a work of God. Um, it's, it's not man's achievement. It says we are forgiven for his name's sake, Amen. in the name of Jesus. You know, a lot of people today, we talk about God, we talk about a higher power, we talk about these things. But the Bible tells us in the name of Jesus is where our power comes from. It's in the name of Jesus that we have forgiveness for our sins. And so we are forgiven for his name's sake. Whose name's sake? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So the reasons for forgiveness is not found in us, but it's found in God. It's all what he has done upon Calvary. So then he goes on to talk to the fathers. And he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. That talks about a relationship. It talks about an experiential relationship. It talks about a deepness. Uh, they have a, a knowledge of Christ, but they also have a relationship with Christ. And an experiential thing is very important because a lot of religions just teach us a head knowledge. But this is a little bit deeper. These are, are men and women of, of deep, um, long spiritual standing with God. They've walked with God a long time. They, they've known him. He's, he's taken them through uh, the trials of life. And so they've had this relationship through the study of God's word, through prayer, through fellowship, which I say includes um, attendance at church. This is a very important thing. You know, the world today, again, as we talk about battling things, the world today says, oh, you know what, we don't need to go to church. We can worship God out in the woods, out on the lake, here, there, everywhere. You know, I can sit at home and watch it. You know, some of those things are true. You can watch and you can learn things from that. But Jesus instituted the church for a purpose. And it's to come together to learn. But it's also for this fellowship that we can experience God's love, God's forgiveness, the relationships that God would have for us. And so we have these, these men and women of deep, um, long-standing relationship with Christ. Um, they have the kind of walk that just doesn't come overnight. And again, you know, sometimes when we become Christians, I remember when I became a Christian, um, Billy was sort of my role model at the time, and he had a King James Bible, and, and so I went down to the bookstore, and I bought a King James Bible, and I read through that Bible in a couple of days, and there, I got it figured out, I know, you know, and I, I all of a sudden, I thought I'm a mature Christian, because I have read the Bible, I know these things, 
and uh, I remember even one time we would go there, we, we were playing Bible trivia with him and Mary one night, and, uh, and I just read through something in the Old Testament. I'm a brand new Christian. I don't even know what I'm talking about half the time. But one of the questions was, you know, what was the requirement of a sacrifice in the Old Testament? And I think it, was, it needed to be a, a male less than one year without spot or blemish, and I just read that. That was the question, and I blurted that out, and I remember Billy looking at me like, how does he know this? I don't even, you know. But I thought I sort of knew it all. I had read through it and I knew it all. But that's not this. See, a mature Christian has this long-standing relationship. They've had conversations with God. I mean, the, the heart has been poured out. And they've listened to hear what God would have to say. It doesn't just come overnight. It doesn't come in a short period of time. It comes by walking with the Lord for an expended period of time. You know, we might even say, like, these are the great oak trees of, of faith. Those who have that deep tap root. You know, we've had some storms come through, and in the weak trees, they topple, right? They're, they're uprooted. They, they, they get snapped off. Where those oaks that have those deep tap roots, they can stand the test of time. Well, that's what a mature Christian is. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about these men and women of deep, long uh, standing with God. Their tap root is deep. They've weathered the storms. They've gone through tough times, and they have found... God faithful, and they continue to share that with others. So it's not so much in the intellectual knowledge, though that's part of it. It's always good to study the Bible and, and, and know the Bible, but it's really the depth of fellowship. And you've probably heard me say before, there's a lot of Christians that, that are a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, God desires us to be deep. You know, a pine tree has, has long branch or long roots that go out, and that's why when you see some of those trees topple over, there's that great big um, shallow root system that gets exposed because the tree is gone, where an oak is deep. And so God wants us to be deep in our relationship, not just in our knowledge, but in our relationship. And then he goes on in the second part of this, and he says, I, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You know, young men are the young people many times are, are those that are doing the battle. They're the workers in the church, really. You know, when, when you start getting, like, to my age, it's a different type of work. But it's the young people that, that do a lot of the work in the church. They're the ones that are raising the children, getting them ready. My wife and I were talking this last week. You know, do we really remember what it's like to, to get five kids ready for church on a Sunday morning and, and you know, and breakfast done and everything going? It, it's a difficult thing if you have five it's a difficult thing sometimes when you got one, isn't it? You know, and then you got your husband to get ready to, and it's like, oh, my, oh, my. So, you know, we forget those things sometimes, but it's our young Christians, the middle-agers, that, that really are doing the battle. They're the ones that are fighting, oh, it'd be so much easier just to stay home and, and not to do this. It'd be so much easier if somebody else would just take the reins of this and, and go with it. And Can I have any of my self-time? But it doesn't work that way. It's the young Christians many times that are stepping up to the front lines and are doing these things. Uh, they're no longer little children. They've grown in, in faith, they've grown in, in grace, and they understand some of these things, but they're not quite uh, mature yet, and so they're still learning. I mean, they're mature, but not, you know, we, we always continually grow, and I hope in my life that I continually uh, grow also. So, you know, we think about it this way. We don't send children to war, do we, as a country? No. And we certainly wouldn't send our senior citizens to the front lines to do battle. No, we wouldn't do that. It's, it's our young people that do that. 
And it's the same in a spiritual sense. You know, a lot of the, the elderly's power is this in prayer. I remember we had a lady, uh, besides the one that just passed, Edna, we had one Ruth Tinsman who, she was a prayer warrior. And I mean, she would pray until the day she died. And I mean, she was pretty crippled up in the, in the bed. And I remember even when I met her, when we first started our ministry, her, her hands were sort of like this, you know, and, and she couldn't do a whole lot physically. But every time I would see her, she'd say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And, you know, when she passed away, I felt that void in my life. I really did. And it took a long time. And I think it, and as a church, we even felt it. Because even though she hadn't been to church in a long time, that was her power. And so we think of this. We think of the different transitions that we have in our life. So um, the greatest effort and, and really the greatest cost are those young people that are doing these things for us. And we need to be thankful of them. And we need to be... Uh, let them know that too. I mean, I really appreciate Children's Church, VBS, man. I used to think about VBS when we would get geared up for that. That's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of stress in those things. So we need to encourage our young people in that. And so for that very reason, some people choose to stay in a baby state, right? They don't want to grow up because I've heard people say, you know, well, the more you know, the more you're accountable. So if I don't read my Bible, I'm not going to be accountable for this. Well, guess what? You are. Um, we don't stay as babies. You know, if, if we were to look in the world today and, and we were to see a, a child that wasn't developing normally, we know that something's amiss, right? Okay? And so it's the same as spiritually. You know, there's a time when Paul would say in Corinthians, you know, I should be feeding you meat, but I'm still giving you milk. You're not growing up into all things, which is the head is Christ. And so some people just choose to stay in, in infancy, and, and that's not right either. That's the same thing as, as uh, being a draft dodger. If you're a veteran, you know, what do we think about draft dodgers? Or what do we think about vagrants that are just begging uh, on the street for no reason, you know, because they don't want to get out and do something. God has called us to continually to grow daily in his word and in his ways and in his works. So he goes on to say in the last part of 13, I write to you little children because you have known the father. I love that verse. For this very fact, that when, you know, most homes, and again, we have, we have situations in the world today that where sin is entered in, but in most worlds, children look up to their daddies, okay? So I even worked at Lincoln Hills, which was a maximum security uh, uh, juvenile prison, and uh, I would hear stories from these kids about their home life, and it was just terrible. And if I ever said something negative about their parent, even though their parent had done some very bad things, they would get very defensive of them. So I learned in a quick order, we don't do those things. Because in children's eyes, they look up to their parents. And I just think of, of children that look up to their daddies because their daddies are like superheroes. I want to grow up and I, I want to be like him. I want to, you know, he, he can take on Superman and Batman. He can do all these things. And you can talk about all the heroes that we know in the world today and all the great men. But in a child's eyes, there's usually nobody you know, greater or grander than mom and dad. They're like the icons in the family. And so when they talk about this, because you have known the father, they love their parents. The first stage of spiritual growth is we sink our roots into the father, right? As, as a new Christian, I wanted to read God's word. I wanted to find out what God's word said. I wanted to have fellowship with others. I, I wanted to I, I sort of felt at that time I was like this sponge that I just really couldn't get enough. I was involved in Bible studies and different things. 
because God had so much for me and, and, and I just wanted to know more about him because again in that, that juvenile state or that childlike state, he had saved me. He had saved me from my sins and he had removed this burden from my life and, and I just wanted to draw closer to him. And so daddy's always a, a very important thing and, and we know that the caring father, we see ourselves as his dependent children. You know, as believers, are you totally dependent upon Christ? Or are you still a little bit in self-sufficiency? So sometimes we, we put our trust and our faith in our bank account. We put our trust or our faith in this, that, or the other thing. But we see just how quickly the world can change things. Our dependency needs to be in our Father. And so Spurgeon had a, a writing this. It said, little children, when they begin to talk and go to school, how proud they are of their father. Their father is the greatest man that ever lived. There was none other like him. You may talk to them about great people, great warriors, great princes, but these are all nobodies. Their father fills the whole horizon of their being. Well, so it certainly is with us and with our Father God. Do you have that aspect of, of the Father in your life? Of Jesus Christ and, and all that he's done for you? Does he fill your whole being or is he a second thought in your life? Is he something else that you do? And so John is challenging us this. And he uses a couple different words for, for children in verses 12 and 13. And one talks about um, the dependence on a parent. So a little child, they're dependent upon their parent for food, for care, for, for health, for everything, safety. They're dependent upon them. Well, God calls us to have that same dependency on him, to, to depend on him for all these things. And that's the first word that he uses in 12. And in verse 13, it talks about the child's immaturity in need for instruction. See, a little child, and I would assume maybe she's about there, she wants to put things in her mouth. you got to watch what she puts in her mouth, right? You don't want to have bad stuff going in. And so John relates that to us in our life, that we not only need dependency, but we need instruction in our life. We need to continue to learn what it is that God has for us. In 14, I have written you fathers. Here he comes to the fathers again. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. Again, this experiential, experiential uh, type of a relationship. The relationship with Jesus Christ that, that people at this stage of their life have is both true and deep. You know, we can put on masks. We can put on a show sometimes. We can uh, project one thing. But eventually, as the Bible says, our sin seeks us out or our true colors will show. You know, there's a lot of little cliches for that. And it's not that any of us are perfect in these things. As a matter of fact, I love the genuine Christians. I love the, the Christians that have chinks in their armor and, and scars on their, and their spirit because it shows that they've gone through some of the battles and the hard times. But they're true and deep. You see a faithfulness to God and you see a faithfulness to his word and you see a faithfulness that puts him before all other things. And it's a hard thing to do because the world, again, wants to draw us away all the time onto other things. But Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, could say that he could count all of his previous uh, accomplishments, either spiritual or otherwise, as rubbish. He actually calls it as dung, I think, in the King James Version, um, surpassing the greatest knowledge of just knowing Christ. And so he says this, that I may know him, verse 10, Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him. You know, and I want to ask you in, in your other relationships in, in life, is there ever 
um, something that says, I, I don't want to know my husband more, my wife more, or there isn't more that I could learn or, or want to know about somebody. See, when we're in love with somebody, we want to know every little thing about them. Is that how you're drawn to Christ? Is that how you're drawn to the Trinity, to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Do you want to know more about what God has for you? Paul says, I want to know him, is the powerful way that he phrased it in Philippians. As a matter of fact, the, the verse says this, Yet indeed I also call all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered for the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's a picture of an older man that is hungering and thirsting for more in his life. More of God in his life. More of Christ in his life. More for service. More for obedience. Not only have the young men, as it will say here, overcome the wicked one, but they have done it through the strength that comes through the word of God. You know, you want to know what God's will is for your life. You need to get into the word of God. You need to spend time reading his word and applying his word. That's how we grow deeper. You know, I can read all the books I want to on farming, and I am not a farmer by any means, but until I get on a tractor and drop the plow and head down the field, I'm just doing nothing, right? I'm just thinking about things. So God tells us that we can read and we can see all these things and all the things we ought to know that we ought to do, but until we really drop that spiritual plow and start plowing up that fallow ground in our life and seeking after him and wanting to grow deeper and, and having this passion after him and his word, to live like he lived, to love like he loved, to extend grace and mercy as he has, we're not going to grow deeper. We're just not going to. And so it's the word of God that is a source of our spiritual strength. I am a believer, a firm believer, that the word of God has an answer for everything that you will face in your life. You know, And if it's not like a specific thing, it's a principle. God's word is the answer for all the things. You know, we think sometimes if we change political parties that the world's going to be a better place. The world's not going to be a better place until we start living according to God's word. You know, the political things may change some of the economics and this and that, but it's the word of God that changes the hearts. And so we need to get into that. Do you consider yourself one of these young people spiritually? Have you been growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you strong in the word and in your walk? Because that's what he calls us to do. Are you putting your strength to some spiritual use? And that's for all of us. That's, that's babes, uh, the young and the old. Are you putting yourself to use in some spiritual way? Because God desires this. You know, if it's just prayer, it's prayer. If it's coming up front and, and, and leading and sharing up here, God wants to use us wherever he can. These believers who had gained this spiritual maturity were known by the fact that God's word lived in them and through them. You know, have you ever just met somebody and maybe not even talked anything spiritual, but it's just like, I bet you that person's a Christian. And you can just tell it by whatever it is that's going on in their life. Maybe it's, maybe it's just the way that they present themselves. Maybe it's the way that they treat others. Now that isn't the, the bottom line because there's a lot of people that aren't saved that treat other people decently. 
But sometimes we meet people and we just know because the word of God just comes through them. We see the attributes of Christ alive in their life. And that's what we are supposed to be. You know, Billy was sharing with me uh, this last week. He says, you know, I just want to stay out of God's way. I want to be used to him, but I want to stay out of his way. Are we like that? Do we want to be transparent in our life that when people look at us that they see Christ? That they see his attributes for the world? They had gained spiritual maturity and they were known that God's word was alive and active in them. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They, they responded in the ways that God's word would expect us to live as Christians. The word of God has made its home in their hearts. And the question is, has it made its home in your heart? Let's pray.